Let's wholesale real estate. We're gonna wholesale real estate. If you wanna wholesale real estate, then you are in the right place. You don't need no money, you don't need no credit. It's so simple that anyone can get it. Luke's gonna teach you just how to get started. All you have to do is learn and apply it. You are in the right place. You're gonna wholesale real estate. You're gonna wholesale real estate. So let's get started. You can join us on the show. This is gonna be a very, very awesome show. You know, Jeff, we talked a couple weeks ago a little bit about this, man, and we had a really good conversation about it. And it's gonna be very valuable um, on, on this show today. So again, thank you for that, for coming on here and, and being willing to share that. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Greatly appreciate it. So awesome, 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 man. So um, everybody, this is Jeff Helm. He is crushing it in Michigan. Him and his team is crushing it wholesaling real estate in Michigan. And uh, we're going to talk uh, on the show. We're going to be talking about how to grow your wholesaling business. So this is definitely the guy you want to listen to uh, when it comes to building a team. So Jeff, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. So you want to tell everybody who you are? All right, cool. Yeah, Jeff Helm. I'm in the Metro Detroit area. So I've been a real estate investor for about six years. I uh, quit my full-time job about a year and a half ago. So I do wholesaling, fix and flips, buy and hold investing full-time, do a lot of creative stuff like land contracts and, and lease options. And uh, I coach clients here in the local Metro Detroit area and a few uh, around the country as well. So that's a quick background on me. Seemed like a lot of us, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and got interested in the building passive income, right? Assets that produce money rather than taking money out of our wallets each month to put money into our wallets. And so I, I bought my first rental property off of a wholesaler. And I thought that was, so I didn't, I didn't know really what that meant at the time. And uh, until I started, um, you know, getting the idea of direct marketing to find my own deals, right? So off market deals. Then I said, hey, well, I have a lot of deals here. I can't buy all of them. Let me try to wholesale these. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's what got me in, in the wholesaling. And that's 90% of what I do today now. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So what were you doing before wholesaling? I was in, um, I was in sales for a lot of, uh, you know, I have an um, engineering degree and a master's in business. I was in the corporate world for 15 years, uh, a few different uh, military and defense contractors. And so I was in sales. So that, that helped. And I was, I was starting to grow my business on the side, right? Mostly by buying rental properties, buying ones, you know, doing the Burr method. So the buy, yeah. renovate, refinance, and repeat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a W-2 job and made some good money. So I was able to, um, you know, able to buy rental properties like that. And so that's, that's what I was doing, you know, as a full-time job before I started wholesaling houses. Uh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, so, you know, you, so, so you had a job at the time and you came across wholesaling. I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, what made you want to leave the job, leave the W-2 alone and go full-time as an entrepreneur? Yeah, great question. Great question. I mean, I always had the desire to do my own business on the side. So my, you know, like I always kind of had that passion for doing something, even though I was in the corporate environment and, and all those types of things. And when it came to real estate investing, and this is this is really, really important. I, I it was like a hobby for me at the time. Right. Yeah, I was wholesaling some houses, you know, I'd pick up a, a property, a land contract, whatever. Um, I was handwriting yellow letters, 25 a day. That's what I would do, 125 a week. When I felt like it, I wasn't consistent every single week like that. And I was doing some deals, but I said, you know what it really came down to, man? I made six figures. I was making 129,000 a year. I had a family of five and I felt broke. 
Mm. I hate to say that every month I was bringing home 7,000 a month and we spent seven, 8,000 a month. Mm. And so when I really said, man, I, I can make 10 grand doing one house. That's, that's more than what my paycheck is. If, if I just cut that umbilical cord to cut that paycheck and do this full time, dude, it's, it's going to be way more money for me. So that's why, you know, that's why I chose to do it also. I mean, money awesome. was a, was a determining factor for sure. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So, yeah. so can you tell us about your first deal? How was your experience with the first deal that you've done? Yeah, so my, my first my first wholesale deal was, um, my, it's guy, I got to think back, it's been a little while. So my first deal that I wholesaled was a property I found with one of my yellow letters. Mm-hmm. And, oh, this is a good story. This is actually a good story. And I um, I marketed out the property. I had tons of interest. So, so for anybody that's doing wholesaling, if you have a ton of interest on a property, hold like an open house. So I held an open house, a two hour event, because it was hard to get into this house. The sellers Uh didn't know I was wholesaling it. And I told them I was gonna have my investors come inspect the property. And so they were actually there. And I paraded 20 cash buyer investors through the property, right? And I think I got three or four offers that day. Yeah. Was 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 that, tell me, tell me, was that tough to manage with 20 people at the property? Yeah, they were all over, all over the place. Yeah, it was too many. It really was too many. That, that's for sure. So, um, so, but that was a good problem to have, you know, honestly. And so I think I got three or four offers from that. I went with the guy that I had, I, um, at that time, I didn't know anybody, right? I didn't really know these cash buyers. So I, I selected this one offer. It was the highest offer. Okay. And um, literally, so we're moving through closing. Everything was fine. I, I swear to you, the day before closing, um, he backed out and, and I didn't collect a non-refundable deposit. You know, I didn't know that then. And, um, and there was an agent involved from the, from the agent side. And, um, and because even though she wasn't getting a commission, she was a good family friend helping mm-hmm. these, these are elderly people. And so she got really, really ticked off and she actually called her broker from Keller Williams and her broker called me. And her broker was Wendy Patton. And I don't know, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but Wendy Patton's well-known lease option guru from back in the day in real estate investing. So I'm like, shoot, I'm getting a call from Wendy Patton. This is kind of cool. I've made it, you know? Yeah. And she's like, well, I know the guy that you assigned it to. He's a good guy. Why is he backing out? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess he doesn't have the money all of a sudden, right? Mm. So then I was able to assign it to somebody else. Like, long story short, I was able to get it closed. But I built a relationship, by the way, with Wendy Patton, which has helped. She's helped mentor me and help grow my business. And we, we ended up closing that deal a week later. So um, it, it was kind of scary there for a second. But obviously, I, you know, I pushed through and still got it closed. So that was my first wholesale deal. Awesome. Awesome. How much did you make on that deal? I think I made $6,600. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So you made, you made what you'd make in one month with a, through a wholesale deal on your first deal. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. And awesome. Yeah. So, 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 so obviously from, from then, you know, you didn't stop, you kept going and you started building momentum. So, um, what got you into wanting to build a team? How did you, how did you get to that scaling point in your business? Sure. Sure. That, that's a good point. At the, at the point of, I wanted to get really consistent with the marketing. So I started automating and delegating the marketing. And then that way it wasn't about me and it wasn't up to me whether the marketing got done. Leads were consistently coming in. So I had tons of leads to work. And the other thing I said to myself is every lead is going to get followed up on every 30 days. So if you think about that, if you're getting 50 leads every single month, 
I got 50, 100, 150. You know, I start getting really, really busy because I'm following up with, you know, 95% of those leads. There's some that fall out, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, and at that point, I just got so busy. And, and, and what I was finding was, is I was trying to disposition these deals and still try to talk to sellers and make appointments and make offers. You, you were juggling all the balls, wearing all the hats, right? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I did is hired a disposition manager to help me. Once I got it under contract, they took it to close. And, you know, that was the first step in, 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 in getting, getting people on my team. So, 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 so when you were going through that, through that moment in time in your business, did you, did you end up losing any deals uh, from, from the lack of having that, that delegation? In your I did. I did. I definitely lost deals. I lost track of sellers. And I, when I finally followed back up with them, they sold it to somebody else or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stuff was dropping. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's very, very crucial. Um, you know, a lot, of, a, a lot of investors, when they get started in a business, you know, it's, it, we don't really look at it as a business when you get started, right? You're just making money. So, so as, but as you start to build that momentum, you got deal after deal after deal, things start to get crazy. And delegating becomes very, very important in order for you to break that ceiling and get even higher. So, guys, that is I hope you guys caught that uh, uh, watching this live because that's a huge, huge nugget. You know, um, you will lose deals if you are not starting to outsource and delegate in your business. Guys, drop drop Jeff some hearts right now. He is he is laying down some awesome, awesome information. Uh, give us some hearts right now on the show. All right. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to drop them as, we, as we're talking. We're going to open up a Q&A at the end of this and, and uh, we'll open up to, uh, to answer any questions you guys have. So, so Jeff, um, what was the first step? What was the first thing that you delegated? You mentioned it was dispositions, right? Um, so, so, so what does your team look like now? OK, so, so today and, and, and mostly today, um, I have one, I'll say, disposition manager but I have three acquisition and disposition managers. So I, I have a, I have a virtual assistant, a virtual assistant on my team, two of them. I'm, I'm showing my fingers too. One is doing primarily my lead sources cold calling. So I have, I have a VA dialing for me and then pre-screen those leads. Those leads go to my acquisition managers to be worked. You know, mm -hmm. we get we get the properties under contract and then they do the dispositions as well. They go get pictures of the property. They write up the marketing. And then my back-end admin VA does all the marketing of the deal out for us. So my admin VA from the Philippines, too, she also sends purchase agreements for us and things like that, all that admin stuff. I want to keep my, my acquisition people um, focused on talking with sellers and making offers. So that's what my team is. It consists of two uh, virtual assistants mm -hmm. and uh, three acquisition managers and one disposition manager. That's how my team is set up today. Awesome. Awesome. And, and before you had your team and now that you have your team today, what have you noticed differently in your business as far as revenue, as far as the, the flow, structure, all of that? The, yeah, yeah the, the number of deals. The number of deal flow has definitely increased. So if I look, I, I'm going to show on my wall right here. Um, these are our deals that are closing this month. I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them right there. And, and those are my cuts, right? I put the dollar amount of my, my piece because I split 50%, you know, with all my, with all my guys. So the, the consistency, the ease of the business, for me, it's created a lot of time freedom, you know, mm -hmm. to spend time with my family and do things just ad hocly, go on trips and stuff like that. That's, that's been a blessing. And then I think 
the, the other thing over time is as these acquisition managers have gotten better and better, I'm way less involved in any of the deals. Cause I have a transaction coordinator too. I should say that I have a TC on my team also. So that helps all the contract to close. So yeah, it's overall just made my life better, more deals, uh, more money and more time. So you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> that's, that's definitely the goal. I mean, you know, that's, that's achieving financial freedom, able to generate income without do, having to do all the work. Look, just, just a question of curiosity. Um, ha have you read the book uh, for our work week? Yes. Yes, I have. Yep. Yep, yeah, exactly. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Would you recommend that for people to read if they want to start looking into building a team? Definitely. Definitely. And, and I will, I'll give a couple, can I give a couple of recommendations for how to, how to train virtual assistants? Yeah, totally. You know, anything that you are doing administratively on a computer, a VA can do for $4 an hour in the Philippines. And all you have to do is get an app like Loom, L-O-O-M, and it's an extension on Chrome, and just screen record the steps that you would go through and just have them do that for you. Whether that's skip tracing, whether that's sending purchase agreements, whether that's pulling comps, you know, whatever that exercise is and uploading in your CRM. I mean, just those basic stuff. I mean, that's. Yeah. Wow. Guys, drop some hearts. Uh, did you guys catch that? Like, like Jeff, how important is that? What you just said, how important is that? Should, should, should we be paying attention to that part right there? I want you to elaborate on that. Yes, yes, very much so. I, I, you know, I, the people that I work with, my personal coaching clients, I tell them, Let's, I mean, it, it takes a lot of work, but this is what I did. I mapped out every single step in my business. And this is from the four hour work week and said, A, what do I like and not like doing? And what can I delegate? You know, what's sucking time from my day? And if you go through that exercise, it may take you six or eight hours to go through that. Take your whole day and say, if I'm wholesaling a deal, what's everything you got to do, right? Step one through 50 and think about, do I need to be the one doing that? That, that's the first step right there in a four-hour work week in your week. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, so I'd like to know, what are some challenges? Someone who's completely new to building a team, never, never has done it before, what are some challenges they're expected to face? You're going to get lots of questions from, from – so some of the challenges are when I hire somebody new onto my team, mm -hmm. um, they're going to be so unsure of themselves. And, 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 and so you got to constantly um, work with them to, to make sure that they're confident in the numbers that they're running. Because they're going to ask me all the time, hey, double check my numbers, double check my numbers. So you just have to expect that. Okay, that's a challenge that you're going to have to expect. And two, um, are, they the, are they willing to work for commission only? And what I mean by that is, are they understanding that it may take six months to close a deal. I mean, I'm saying with a lead, I'm not saying like, yeah. we have lots of leads coming in, but that particular lead may not close for six months. You may have to touch them seven or eight times to, to get a deal to convert and just setting their expectations. I think um, a lot of people uh, come into wholesaling and, and think they're going to, it's like a get rich quick scheme type of thing. And it's not, it, and it requires lots of work. So that's a, that's a huge misconception, right? Yeah, and, and so I have a lot. I have a lot of people that that fall out because they 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 think I didn't get a deal in in thirty or sixty days, and this isn't going to work for me, you know. And um, so that could be a challenge, you know, finding the right. So I like to find real estate agents that are hungry. Um, I like to find people that are in sales, uh, car sales, mortgage brokers, insurance brokers, anybody that's doing commission only work already is probably going to be the best person for your team.
Okay. Yeah. So, so why fifty percent of a deal? I mean, that's that, that's a, that's a huge part of that deal. Why fifty? Because they're doing all the work and I'm doing none. And then it, I'll tell you what, it keeps them on my team. Mm-hmm. It keeps them on my team. So if, if it's costing me, you know, the way I work cold calling leads, I get leads at six to $8 per lead, $120 per deal. Mm-hmm. If, if we're doing $10,000 assignments and I'm getting five and I, and I, I, it's, so I split 50% less $300 transaction coordination. I, I keep that part of it. But, okay. um, so if I'm, if I'm doing that, they're going to stay happy. If I'm only giving them 10 or 15 or 20%, it's not big enough chunks for them to stay happy. That's how I feel about it. So that's why I pay 50%. Okay. Makes, makes total sense. Total sense. So it, is there, is there, has there ever been a time, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you didn't try it for the first time and, and then magically your, your, your team came, came together. Um, what were some challenges that you faced just building your team and getting all that down? Sure. So, as far as I had to put together a training document in Google Docs and say, go through this training first. And it's all kinds of training videos like this is how the CRM works. This is how the handoff goes from the lead, from the marketing to you. This is the script that you're going to go through. This is, you know, just that whole, like, again, it was documenting my process and then training them on that. And for me to, to do that over and over again on live meetups was, was really getting overwhelming. So I created a, a training document for them to do that. So that really, really helped. And I think I, I hired the wrong people initially. Um, I, I think I, like I said, I think, I, you know, like I said, I, I initially I was hiring people that were making hourly wage right. and, and they didn't have sales experience. And I just thought that they could do it no problem. And, and, and they just got burned out. And so I think by, like I said, hiring those people that have a commission-only sales background was definitely the way to go. So, so I've gone through probably ten to twelve acquisition managers, you know, over time. But I got this group of three right now that I'm, that I'm very happy with. <laughs> so, so, so a, a lot of people are afraid to start delegating, especially like positions like acquisition managers, dispositions, because those are, you know, those are definitely like a very important piece of the business, giving offers and going to see properties. Um, and another thing that people are afraid of as well is someone taking what they're learning through working in your business and running and trying to do, to do their own business. Is that something that, that you've ever came across? Yeah, do? I have it myself, but I've heard of, I've heard of people um, having that problem within, mm-hmm. within other like major wholesaling companies here in the Metro Detroit area. I, I, put it, I put it this way. The people that are working on my team have all reached out to me because mostly they wanted coaching. And I said, rather than rather than me paying for coaching, why don't you just come work on my business? That's the best way to learn. Wow. And and then also too, they don't know everything, right? Like they don't. I control the marketing and I manage that, and so they don't know who the, the agency is that I use. They don't know the list that I'm pulling it, where I'm pulling it from, or where I'm getting the skip tracing. So there's some hidden secrets, if you will, that yeah. they're not privy to. Yeah. Um, and then I think a lot of people that there's so many people out there that um, I hate to say this, but even though they want to be an entrepreneur, but they're more of an employee type of, of mindset where they just want to be told like what to do. Mm-hmm. So if those are, so, so, so to me, I think those are the people that are going to be working in my business anyway. So for them to go off and do it themselves, they're probably, they probably won't be able to, I hate to say that. It sounds bad, but. <laughs> no, but, but, but it's a hundred percent true though, you know? Um, I mean, that's the reality. A, a lot of people, 
um, won't go out and take those steps. I mean, a few of them do, and then even if they try to do that, they don't have all the pieces together because there's a lot of moving parts. When you, when you start to delegate things uh, in your business, you start to realize that there's some, some even th- there's even some other seats that you don't realize at first, right? Like, yes. For instance, when you start hiring uh, hiring VAs, you may want somebody. You know, now you become a manager because you got to manage all of them now. So now and making sure they have activity, right? Yeah. Right. You know? So so there is a whole lot of moving parts to it. So not out of the ten, even if they try to run run off with your business, you know the likelihood of them being successful is is, is isn't going to be uh, that great. And of course, you need money too, right? You need money. And then the other thing too is for me, like I'm always staying on top of the next marketing trend or some unique techniques I want to do to find motivated seller leads. And so as long as you're continually doing that, uh, you shouldn't be worried. Now, the other thing, we do a lot of team building stuff. Like I'll tell you too, I've advanced money to some people on my team because they need it. And we got a deal closing a couple of weeks out, but I'll pay them ahead of time. Right. You know, I do things like that. Treat, treat them as a family. We go out to dinners to celebrate some some closings and things like that. I think if you're bonding with them in that way and paying them fifty percent, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere too soon. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So, so um, with that said, uh, what should be the a reason why anyone would want to get into building a team after doing their first wholesale deal? Um, well, I, I think because we're all becoming entrepreneurs in this business to create time freedom. And wholesaling can quickly become a high-paying 80-hour-a-workweek job if you're not careful about it. 100%. And you, and you can get burned out. So why not start up front? Like take, that, take all the profits from that first wholesale deal mm-hmm. and, and reinvest it into automating marketing and building your team. And, and then you'll just grow so much faster. And no, it's cool. I, I mean, my team, they, they make my business better. They put together recommendations like, hey, I think we should do this rather than this. Let's extend our, um, you know, our close dates on our contracts. I mean, and, and that kind of stuff is just only going to make you a better company by having people on your team. And I will tell you, um, two of the guys on my team are way better than I am in negotiating deals with sellers, without a doubt, right? But, but they're rock stars. They, they, they are. They need those deals, right? Yeah, heck yeah, they are. Way better than That's I would be. That, that is very, very crucial. Um, guys, drop some hearts, drop some hearts. Jeff is laying down so much, so much valuable information right now. Show some love, guys. Definitely show some love. Um, also, put some questions in here because we're going to open up for a Q&A very soon. Uh, before we do that, though, Jeff, I've got, a, I've got another question for you, man. I've got another <laughs> question for you. If, if, you were to give, if you were to give the process in, in a short like in, if, you were to give, if you were to take 60 seconds to explain the process from start to finish on how to build a, 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 a business where you can now scale, what would that be? What okay. Would that look like? You got to get the marketing right. You need 100 leads per month. Figure out, automate that marketing that's affordable to you. Two, you need a CRM tool that you can capture all these leads in and have a workflow process for either you or your acquisition team to utilize so that these leads, there's no lead left behind. Three, you need to understand multiple ways of getting these leads under contract, not just a mail offer, but maybe a lease option, land contract, or a buy and hold cash offer. Man, if you master those things, that, that's in 60 seconds. I mean, that's what you need in your business. <laughs> that is sweet. That is sweet. This, this actually brings up another question. Do you do subject twos in your business, by any chance? I do. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of them. It's harder to do those these days, but I've done, t- I've done two of them. We will do those. I, I will tell you, can I tell you something unique that we're doing in our business that I think not a lot of people are doing? Sure, yeah, totally, man. We are assigning deals to FHA buyers and conventional mortgage buyers. 
Yeah. Now I will caveat. I, uh, I'm doing this in Michigan. I am not a real estate attorney. So please check with your real estate attorney in your own area. But what we're doing now is we are signing deals to FHA buyers and conventional or buyers that are using conventional mortgages. And, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you use closing attorneys or title agency, uh, title companies where you're at, but we, we use both. We use both. Do you? Okay. So title companies mostly, um, they only extend a uh, title insurance policy at the value of the purchase agreement. So if I, have a, if I have a PA under contract for 60 and I assign it for 70, that buyer is actually only getting a title insurance policy at 60,000. Mm. The problem that banks, mortgage, you know, mortgage companies, they want a lender's policy at that 70,000. Okay. They don't care if it's assigned as long as it appraises for 70. So what we do is we assign the deal to the end buyer. Now, I'm a, you know, most of my um, sellers are aware that I'm assigning a deal. Sure. I'm not, so I'm, I'm not sneaking around or anything like that, trying to wholesale the deal. Sometimes I do, but most of the time <laughs> they know. So in this case, yeah. for these type of deals to work, um, you have to know, they have to know that you're assigning it because then what you ultimately do is do a purchase agreement between the end buyer and the seller directly. And then you just have a marketing fee of your assignment fee. Oh, so, nice. so then it, so then it's like the buyer or the end buyer's, well, no, then it's like the seller's actually paying your assignment fee the way it looks yeah. on the HUD or on the settlement oh, statement. Oh, that makes See? no sense. Yeah, yeah, because. And, and the banks are cool with that. I mean, the, 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 even FHA, it's quite interesting. Wow, that's that's pretty. You know, I'm going to check my attorney about that for sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's awesome because, you know, of, of course, of course, buyers that utilize FHA loans, uh, any bank loans typically pay more money for, for the property. So, you, so your assignment fees are larger, I, I presume, right? <clears throat> yes, they are. Yeah, and definitely because I'm usually paying 3% to the agent also, the buyer's agent, out of those, out of my assignment fees. So they're definitely bigger spreads. Wonderful, wonderful. And yeah. then, so, so, so instead of the assignment fee showing up on the buyer's side because the buyer is, is, is paying the fee, right? Uh, you have an agreement with the seller. You let the seller know that what exactly what you're doing, and they're okay with it. Which, so that way, you can put it on the seller side. Exactly. Man. Yeah, for the settlement statement. So, that yeah, just awesome. FYI. I mean, something creative like when you you know maybe you can't move a property to a cash buyer, but maybe yeah. you can find a buy and hold investor that wants to use a mortgage. Yeah. Like I said, it's all about kind of tenacity and, and getting deals done. And so, so here's the question. Here's the question. So, so with with the uh, bank mortgages. You know, they take time for them to close. They got to they got to do their underwriting. They got to send out an appraiser. They got to do all that. So, are there any challenges with that? With, on the I mean, sometimes yes. Yeah, sometimes you have to get the contracts extended. You know, or something okay. like that. I mean, but the sellers that I are normally cool. Like if I say, hey, we're going to close within a week or two at the most. We just got to yeah. extend this contract out. We got everything lined up. They're they're cool with it. Um, so I don't find that to be a problem. I mean, I guess you could run into the issue like on an FHA. The home has to be livable, livable, right? Habitable, yeah. you know. So it's, it can't be a complete dump that you're, you know, because then then FHA wouldn't approve it, of course. Um, but there's no double close or anything like that, which is cool. And then with, you know, because with FHA you need seasoning too. So even if you try to wholetail, you know, you got to hold that property for mm -hmm. for 120 days before you could sell it to an FHA buyer. So in this case, it gets rid of any of those concerns. Wow, which I like. I yeah, FHA, you got to have seasoning. Like, if you bought it for sixty, you can't sell it the next day to an FHA buyer for eighty. Mm -hmm. They they won't. Um, they'll look back and say, no, they bought it for sixty. It's only worth sixty. You know that kind of okay. thing. Huh. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I I didn't know that. I did not know that. So yeah. So jumping back to growing the business, if you were to give 
newbies three pieces of advice, what would it be? Automate the marketing from day one. You can afford it. Figure out 500 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Automate that market. Because if it's, if it's relying on you, you won't get consistent deals. You'll get frustrated. Number two, make offers over the phone or at least pre-screen that seller with an idea of what you're going to offer to them before going to the house. I, I have wasted so many hours of my life driving the houses and, and spending time with the seller just to find out that they're not motivated. So that, right, right. yeah. And number three, don't stress about having a buyer or having a buyer's list. You will build your buyer's list by promoting your deals out to your list, your Facebook groups, your reading meetings. Um, a lot of people get hung up on, well, I don't have a buyer's list, so I don't want to start marketing. It's kind of like the money follows the deal. The buyers will come if it's a good deal too. Yep. 100%. 100%. So, um, this actually brings up another another question now. Um, so you mentioned that that um, that the money follows the deal. Uh, w one thing I tell my students is, well, I'm not going to take action. I don't I don't have any buyers. If it's a good deal, the deal is going to be good, right? So so what would you suggest? What are some ways that you find buyers, and sure. and, and at what point during the deal do you find them? Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, over time, I mean, I, I find them, I have, I find the buyers after I have the property under contract okay. and, and I will go to my RIA and my meetup and stand up during the elections and, and have flyers about my deal. Mm -hmm. Um, the Facebook groups in any metropolitan area have been awesome to just drop your deals in there. Hey, I got this assignable contract. Here's the breakdown of the numbers. Um, and then I like to go through a lot of real estate agents. One thing I use a tool, if you're not an agent, I use a tool called PropStream, and if I'm looking for deals in Hazel Park, Michigan, mm -hmm. I go and I pull all the realtors' emails that have listings under like the medium price point. I don't want the big, you know, agents. Yeah. I don't want luxury agents, but I put them on my buyers list, and I say, "Hey, I got this off-market deal. You may have an investor buyer that's interested." So that is, that is a huge nugget. Like that's huge, guys. Drop some hearts for that right there. Because I'm pretty sure that pretty much solves. Um, the problem of, well, not the problem, but it makes it easier to find cash buyers that way. I mean, PropStream is definitely an amazing tool. So let, let me ask you this, right? Um, how, what is your take on giving offers over the phone? I, know I mean, at the end of the day, because you're going to offer 50% of the market value, most likely, once you run the 70 off the ARV and subtract out repairs and all that stuff. Now, the problem you can run into is their interpretation of, oh, it's in good shape and it you know, maybe but everything else is in good shape, may, you know, then their perception of that may be different than yours when you say, oh, I'm going to sell this to a fix and flip, you know, cash buyer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we, but I always say that the, here, so, so this is what I say though to that. You need to get the property under contract. You need to control the deal and figure everything else out later because if you're operating, always, you need to operate without fear. If you're operating with fear, mm -hmm. like, well, I just don't know and, you know, because I use 10, 20 or $30 a square foot in rehab to run my initial offer. If yeah. they accept it, I send them a contract electronically to sign or I send a mobile notary to their house. And um, once I start marketing that deal out, there's there's two there's three scenarios that happen. One is I find a cash buyer and he buys it for my with my assignment fee, right? 10, 15 grand. Cool. Mm -hmm. Number two is I, I, I run all my all my cash buyers through and they say, Hey, Jeff, we like this deal, but it's priced too high. We need to buy it at 50. Well, maybe I have it under property, at, uh, under contract at 50. 
because there's a foundation issue or because yeah. of this or because of that. So I go back to the seller and I say, hey, here's the deal. We can close next week, but during my inspection, I found this and that. I need a price adjustment to 40. If you're cool with that, we can close a week from today, right? If he says no, release out of the deal. If he says yes, renegotiate, the, you know, send an addendum or a new PA, and now you're good to go. And, and you're doing all of that within your inspection period on your contract, right? Yes. Now, I have an open-ended awesome. inspection period in my contract, but, but even within – you really know if you have a deal. Most inspection contingencies are 14 days. Yeah. And, and just a little secret, in your contracts, it should say that that contingency can only be removed to have in there. Um, but, um, you know, you really know if you have a deal. If you can't move it in two weeks, it's probably not that good of a deal. Right. But, you know. 100%. So I've got another question here. Um, right now, real estate is doing amazing, right? The markets are strong. But of course, that also means that sooner or later, we're going to have a downturn, right? Yes. So I want to get your take on this, Jeff. That's a great point. So there's going to be, in a downturn, you're going to have less and be a lot less because there isn't going to be, the, um, there's gonna, there has to be a really, really good deal for a fixer flipper to take that on. But yeah. then on the buyer side, on the retail side, there's some less people buying houses, right? Or pricing values are going, to, are going to come down too. So it's more risky for a rehabber to buy a property. So what can you do? The rent, but here's what's going on. Rents continue to increase. The demand for rental properties continue to increase. So interview your buyer, because there's a lot of investor buyers internationally or out of state um, or in your local area that are buying rental properties. Find out how what their buying criteria is. Mm -hmm. And then factor in your assignment fee and, and run cap rates or cash on cash or however they factor their buying criteria. And, and, I, and I think if you're, if you're not wholesaling the buy and hold investors, you need to find those buy and hold investors and start wholesaling to them because that's going to be uh, in a downturn who's going to be buying your deals. Yeah. The other thing yeah. is you need to understand creative deal structures like subject twos. Or can I do a lease with the option to buy? I'm doing one right now just to give you, I don't want to go on forever and you tell me to stop, but I couldn't get a good enough equity position on this property to, to, to take it down myself or to sell it, to wholesale it. So I said, let me lease it from you with the option to buy. Okay. And okay. what I'll turn around and do is lease that property for a year and then either sell it or, or, or release it for another year. So there's ways to create passive income now because I was going to do a $300 a month spread. So I'm creating passive income with none of my own money. Mm -hmm. I'm controlling it with a lease with the option to buy. I can sell it for a 30, 40,000 markup yep. or I can um, keep running it out. Right. So just those are the other tools that we got to put in our toolbox as wholesalers when we're direct marketing to, to do that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, that's, that's like, guys, really, really catching this information because what Jeff has just said is actually one of the ways you can build wealth in real estate without having to have all the capital. Um, now, now I know we talked a little bit about subject twos, but subject twos is is, is, a, is it's a little similar. Well, do you do do you do fi uh, seller finances by any chance as well? I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do a lot of purchasing contract for deed or land contracts. A lot of my multifamilies I purchase. If you're looking at multi, and what's so cool about a land contract is. You can wholesale them. You can sell that piece, that contract for ten grand, five, or whatever you can negotiate. You, it doesn't have to be offer that you can assign. And I'll tell you, if, if you can get a good cash flowing rental and, and on a land contract terms and sell that to a buy and hold investor, you you could you could get a big markup because they don't have to deal with banks. They don't have to buy it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. awesome.
So, so actually, um, I believe Jeff, you you actually have calculators to help you. Yeah, I have. Um, I kind of call them. I do two different types of three option letter of intents. Mm -hmm. uh, one would be an all cash offer with two different types of land contract offers, so seller financing, and then I also do a cash offer with two different types of lease options a sandwich lease option where you're giving them a lower purchase price, you're more of like a 15% equity position, or a wholesale lease option where a sandwich lease option, you stay in the middle of the deal and you end up, you know, you end up selling it on the back end. Whereas on a wholesale lease option, you just assign that contract to somebody that's actually going to live in the home and then buy that home, whatever, with whatever those terms are. So yeah, awesome. those are two different calculators I use. Awesome. Awesome. I'm trying to think, like, you can get them. If you go to investwithjeff.co um, and contact me there or jeff at investwithjeff.co, I will get those to whoever sends me a message or on Instagram. Awesome, awesome. That was actually my next question. How can people connect with you? Exactly, yeah. So there are two different websites uh, or email me at jeff at investwithjeff.co. I have, and, uh, and that's it. Yeah, I guess that's how you can reach me. Let's wholesale real estate. We're going to wholesale real estate. If you want to host real estate, then you are in the right place. Thank you for listening to School of Wholesale with your host, Luke Medeiros. If you want more information, subscribe to this podcast as well as follow on Instagram at Luke Medeiros. L-U-C-M-A-D-E-U-S. And if you have any questions, send me an email at flippinglegendary at gmail.com. That is flippinglegendary at gmail.com. Let's host real estate. We're going to host real estate.